entrepreneurship is great, but can also seem overwhelming. Wouldn't you like to know the pros, opportunities, and problems with different business and investment strategies before you jump in? Well then, welcome to Entrepreneurship Exposed. Uh, every time that music plays, I see see the guests kind of bounce a little bit. I'm like, okay, I got the right song. The coolest I- intro ever. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. I saw you go like this. I was like, okay, she's yeah. enjoying it. <laughs> well, welcome everybody to another episode of Entrepreneurship Exposed with your guy Bees. We are here and I have an amazing guest as always, but this one's even more special than ever because I just met her last week and it feels like it's an old friend already, right? She's she already, we had some great conversation. I was on her podcast and then we just had a great conversation afterwards and, you know, it just kept going and now she's up, she's returning the favor. She's on here and I was amazed at the conversation that she and I had. So I just had to bring her here so that you guys can hear it too. But this is the, the podcast, Entrepreneurship Exposed, where we talk about everything entrepreneurship related with a twist of business acquisitions. And today we have Miss Sabrina Stalker. Is it Stalker or Stoker? Am I saying that wrong? I ne- never really knew. <laughs> you were good the first time. I always there get like Stalker <laughs> to the um, American accent, but either one works. <laughs> well, Sabrina, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining and t- introduce yourself. Tell people a little bit more about you. Thank you so much. And again, thanks so much for, for joining, well, for bringing me onto the show. I'm used to saying joining me. So yeah, a bit about myself. I was a tennis player growing up, did pretty well, like toured the company playing tennis. And when I was 22 years old, I went on the BBC One show, The Apprentice. And for anyone in the States, it's like a classy version in the UK, well-respected <laughs> compared to maybe some controversial opinions with the ones of Trump. And it was so much fun. Like it, I got to the finals. So I opened up like red carpet events, TV interviews, radio, like this whole new world that was completely new to me. Like the extent where I got onto the train and I stopped taking trains after this, my Uber bill was like way too much. I got onto the train and on one end of the platform, someone asked me for a selfie, this girl. And I was in a business meeting at a hotel about half an hour down the line. And the dad comes up to me and says, hey, my daughter just took a selfie with you and sent it to our group family chat can I send you one back? And I was like, damn. And the power of having that visibility as well as everything else that comes with it was a game changer. And right now that's what I help others do. And rather than making them their next celebrity, I want to make them the next entrepreneur so they can share their legacy in a way that's sustainable. Ooh, I love that. I love that. So, okay. Now after the apprentice, well, first tennis, then apprentice. What? How did you get on the apprentice? Like, what? What made you do that? And what was the process like for it? Yeah. So I've always a massive fan of the show, right? I've been watching the show every single year, and I got to this one year. I was like, I'm gonna get on. Now, what most people do is they apply and they see what happens. I was like, no, I'm gonna get on. <laughs> so what I started doing is I started researching and like hours and hours of researching. And I built an entire list of any single possible question they could answer. I created a script. I rehearsed it in the camera. So I had like a natural on camera. They were like, damn, where are these answers come from? But they were all scripted. So I put in so much work prior to getting on the show that I knew I was going to get on and I did. Ooh, the power of preparation. Mm. That is exactly what it is. I love that. You're as maybe as OCD as me. 
because it's like, hey, like, nah, I need to get on. So I need to know everything that's going to happen. I gotta... <laughs> but, I, but I love that. That led to you actually getting on to the show, right? And that took you into a whole nother direction, right? So you didn't, you made it to the finals, but you didn't win the show or so, right? Yeah. Now that led you to your PR firm. Yeah, so I'll accelerate the story a little bit. So by that age, I was 22 years old. I had a six-figure... 22 years old when you were on The Apprentice? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So I was, the, I was awesome. the youngest ever candidate. That's um, awesome. And as well as that, I was already running a six-figure business at mm. the profit at 22 for my tennis company. And what mm. happened when we went into lockdown, I basically lost my company overnight because I ran events. There were no events. And I used all my contacts that I'd built from the media, from the TV show, to then put it to all the software platform that I launched during lockdown. Mm. Now, this went like super viral. Just using my press contacts, I had half a million subscribers in six weeks of launching. And the back of that was, that's pretty unheard of. And it was because of that, everyone said, can you do this for my own company? Which is then when I started the PR company. So I did it off the back of actually receiving results and finding out how powerful it can be if you do it right in my own company first. I love it. I love it. Now, how are you scaling that company, that your PR firm? What are you doing to scale? So many different things. And it all started <laughs> with demand coming towards me. And then when you do a good job, you get a ton of referrals. But you can only scale a company so much. And I know you've got your own kind of M&A twist on this that I'm excited yeah. to hear. <laughs> you know me well already. <laughs> and I, I thought, okay, how do I do this? So we created a software that allows us to read. I, I quite enjoy technology. Around 10,000 new companies every single day. By using this that we've been able to build, we get so many inbound leads coming in. We don't need to go down the outbound path. And that's been a pretty big game changer. Awesome. Awesome. And and yes, you're right. I was going to get into the M&A side of it because so often people think that I'm scaling because I'm trying to get more customers in and I'm more busy right now, but busy is good. A lot of times people feel that busy is a good thing because that means you got a lot of customers. No, I don't want to be busy, right? I, busy is not good for me. Yes, I want the business to have a lot of leads coming in and a, a, you know, a lot of revenue, but I don't necessarily want to be doing it myself the whole time. In one, even if it's just in one area of the business, I don't want to do that because time wealth, not financial wealth, time wealth is the most important to me. So what I've learned over time is that the way that the ultra wealthy scale of business is by acquiring another business, because if you were going to, hey, I got to really improve my marketing department. Yeah. Or you could acquire a, a marketing company or, you know, acquire a financial services company. Right. And have you thought about doing anything like that? Maybe acquiring another PR firm that already has a, you know, more leads than you or maybe the same and now combining it together. Have you thought of that? I have. And I'm glad we're having this conversation. Um, <laughs> it's, it's interesting because you mentioned the concept of time and we don't get paid for being busy. We get paid for done. So Ooh. how quickly can we get things done? Right. Mm. And one of the big parts is, Actually, a big part of PR is content creation. And Mm. we partnered and potentially we will acquire with them a content creation firm from actually writing all the articles and making sure they're Mm. all scripted right. So, yes, I 100% agree. And a lot of people also say it's too much of a risk to acquire a different part of a company. But I'm like, 
what's the risk of not taking that? It means you've got such big overheads. You don't know if people are good at their jobs. You've got the financial risks of relying on people rather than relying on something that you already know that works. Mm, exactly. Oh, this is why I love Sabrina. Let's go. This is exactly it. You know, and if anyone ever says that to you again, please send them my direction. If they ever say, oh, it's a risk to acquire a company, like, really? Are you? Somebody, a lot of people ask me, I actually created a reel about this maybe last week. Maybe I told you it was coming, as a matter of fact. And in the reel, it says, you know, people come to me and they always ask, well, what's the worst that can happen in a business acquisition? And I say to them, I don't know, maybe a global pandemic could hit and, you know, all businesses shut down for a few months. That could, that's, that's the worst that could happen. But guess what? That could happen if you built the business too, or if you acquired it. It's not because you acquired it that now you shut down or something. You know, so there's no inherent risk in acquiring the business. It's the only way that you could reduce your risk as much as possible because you know what you're getting yourself into. You see a history of years of growth, of customers, of revenue, of everything. And you can say, yeah, this works for me for my situation. The, I will be honest, the only way that, the only time I see an increase, not even an increased risk, but slightly higher risk than what I already said is mergers. That's different from acquisitions. Because if you are merging two teams together, then it's like, oh, who do you have to let go to be more efficient? Do you create more waste? It could be team problems. Like they, this team didn't like that manager that you brought from over here. So that's a trickier, er, not tricky, but it's a tricky, er, um, aspect of MA overall. But let's get back to you. <laughs> I love that. No, it's so true. And like one of the biggest points you just mentioned there, right, is the 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 merger side of things. Because mm. a lot of the time we're like, oh, if you can't control your own if you can't in a sense control your own leadership, then how are you meant to be able to show that you're a good leader to another company? So actually mm. when you acquire a company rather than merging, they already have everything in place. They already work. You become each other's clients rather than trying to merge because then you get yes. all the people problem as well. Yes. Look, look, you already know. That's exactly it. You don't have to physically roll in every business together. Sometimes it's better to keep it separate and they just become clients of each other. I love I love that. how excited you get about this topic. I can I see do. I, I really do. <laughs> Serena. I, I'm gonna. Po- I want you to check it too. I'm. A, I'm gonna post it probably this afternoon. I think it's gonna come out in a couple hours. And it's one of my students. This guy was incarcerated. This guy was not a businessman. This guy had never been really an entrepreneur other than a hustler before. This guy, I, you know, I love him, but he wasn't as as articulate as I, you know, when I first met him and such. And he's part of my VIP program, so we were doing a deal review. <clears throat> as I'm speaking to him, he's like, oh, yeah, so I offered this and I did that and I structured the deal this way, blah, blah, blah. I was like, wait a minute, hold up. Did you have experience with mergers and acquisitions before you met me? He was like, hell no. <laughs> I was like, wow, I was in shock because it's not that difficult. If you are willing to you know, commit yourself to learning the information and everything, it's nothing. It's not like you got to go get a PhD to do it. Mm-hmm. So everyone can do it not everyone will do it but everyone can do it for sure and i love seeing that and that's that's the type of things that get me so excited yeah, i love it such good energy <laughs> for sure for sure but so so tell me what else happened and tell me what it really means what made you get into that specific aspect of not just pr but 
being the authority in your niche. What made you come up with that concept and, and drive that home as a central component of your PR firm? Yeah, I love it. And I think what's interesting with what a lot of people think of is, is PR and putting yourself out there. Like there are some really talented entrepreneurs. There are some incredible ideas. There's some incredible businesses. But if nobody knows about them, then they're just being kept the best kept secret. Mm. And if no one knows who they are, like what impact are they going to create? And the biggest game changer for me. So overnight in 24 hours, we went viral. We had over 100,000 people on our website overnight. Now everyone goes, oh, that's amazing. It's not amazing. The website crashes, you can't do anything. But <laughs> once you fix it, you know, in lockdown, we helped over half a million people get food on their table because that's what the software was doing. Yeah. And if I hadn't have gone to the press, then how many people wouldn't have been able to find out their local delivery slots? That's what the software was. And mm. a lot of the time, we know that we want to put ourselves out there. We know we have a message to share, but if no one knows about us, then that's one thing. But even if everyone knows about us and they don't take us seriously, that's the next. So it's about mm. being able to combine visibility and authority, as well as the credibility showing that you've done it, to mm. be able to create trust. And when you create trust, you can do anything. Mm, yes, I love that for sure. Now, creating trust is not easy, right? So what, do you, what are some of the things that you recommend to people to do in order to help to create that trust? Yeah, and it's not easy, right? Like, why, why would I trust somebody? I used to be super trusting. And then I was like, mm, maybe I should rethink. And <laughs> the first thing that most of us should be doing anyway, but we don't, is to put a date in your diary, the first of every single month, and that's to Google yourself. And there's one of four things that are going to come up when you Google yourself or you Google your business name. That's positive PR, meaning there's a reason why people should trust you. Secondly, it's negative PR, which is another conversation. The third is nothing at all, meaning there's no information out there. How are they meant to know who you really are? Yeah. And the fourth could actually be a competitor. So a really easy win is to start Googling yourself and figuring out, okay, if I want my message to be this, does my Google say that? And then the next question is, how do you get it to go? Number one, you get a website with your full name in the domain or your business name and you rank it for that. Number two, you get a few press articles saying what exactly you do and why you're good at them. You mm -hmm. can get a Google Knowledge Panel linking all your social medias. All these small little wins increases your conversion rate when you want to work with somebody. And what happens, you know, the Tinder swindle, like we've all seen that on Tinder, right? If you want to even go into dating, what's the girl <laughs> going to do? She's going to Google you to see who you are and see if you're legitimate. So it's not always yeah. just fitness. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I love that. So, uh, team, I hope y'all heard what Sabrina just said. Let's make sure we start Googling me and things on a regular basis. Um, you know, and, and I love it because, Sabrina, you give very practical and precise information to people. I love that. A lot of times people are speaking from a perspective of fluff. Like, oh, you just need to be known and trusted. Yeah, how? But you actually break down those things. And that's why I really loved our conversation. We, start, we started speaking about getting verified on, mm -hmm. on accounts, right? On social media platforms. Yeah. And you gave very specific things. Matter of fact, if you wouldn't mind, share a couple of those if, right now. You guys are about to hear some very juicy information because Sabrina is awesome. But the most important part of what you told me was the contacts that you had. 
Yeah. So yes, everybody, you know that I speak about networking as my first pillar of success. It's not just who you know, but who knows you. And there's people who know Sabrina and she has these contacts that could help you to get things like be uh, verified and to be the authority in a niche. But what else would you suggest to someone in order to get verified on any platform? Yeah, for sure. The, the first thing is you've got to think of it from the platform's perspective, right? Like why should the platform care? Why should the person behind the computer, because it is a physical person, care to get you verified? Mm. So you've actually got to put yourself into the reps shoes, like what they're thinking, and also to the platform shoes. And when you start thinking about like this, rather than thinking, I deserve to be verified, I have a load of fake accounts, I'm having all these issues, and actually flipping the script and thinking, why should they care, right? That's the first thing. The Mm. second is they kind of give you the formula without giving you the formula. So the first one, and if you look at the kind of how to get verified, type it into Google, you'll get this for every single platform. And I'll give you a kind of checklist. Mm. And one of those checklists are engagement. Like, are you actually creating content that they want to share? How often are you going viral? Are you using the platform's features to the best ability? Mm. The second one is about your credibility. Like, are you really who you say you are? If you're an entrepreneur, have you really built a business? Or are you Mm. just trying to make it? Um, If you're an artist, have you actually got a Spotify and you're actually producing music, right? Mm. And then there's also the notability section, which is what really we work with clients with. And that's about your Google presence. And they actually care because they want notability on their platform because they don't just want to verify everyone. Number one, it takes away the magic. And number two, if it's not verified, then it doesn't count as much, if that makes sense. Yes. yes. They want to know that you're a genuine person, that you are really actually able to help somebody out and that you're credible. And that's where the press element comes in. And it's really thinking about what can I do to genuinely put myself out there to be consistent? And what are they thinking to make them think yes for me? Mm, okay, I love it. I love it. So what's your favorite platforms that you utilize for your business and such? Yeah, I mean, my favorite platform right now is YouTube. So we developed like a a YouTube live technology so we can stream channels 24 seven hours of the day. We're growing counts by two, five, 10,000 subscribers per month because YouTube are loving it. And it means that we get our biggest asset back, which is our time. My biggest, I guess, challenge as a content creator was time. I'm running multiple businesses. I'm always looking for new opportunities. I don't have time to make new content. The content I made was good. Why can't people see that? I was thinking, how do we take all of that content I already have and repurpose it into my own TV show? And by doing that, without having to make more content, people can keep playing play just like they do on the radio, just like they do they on Netflix. Why not on YouTube? So you mentioned about time. I, I got to definitely connect you with one of my companies where we can help you with some VAs as well to kind of soften the time for you and maybe post for you and things like that. So, yeah, we'll talk about that later, too. <laughs> but I love it. For sure. For sure. So now what made you? So I think it's time that we pop this industry, right? Because being the authority, it sounds good. And people are like, oh, yeah, I want to be the authority in my niche. But how do I really get it? That's going to take a whole lot of time and blah, blah, blah. I don't fear time in terms of saying, hey, it's going to take a year, but you got to start today. If you don't start, it's going to take longer than a year, right? So what are the pros 
of being the authority in your niche overall. Yeah, I love it. That's great. So the pros of being the authority, well, when who do we look up to, right? So there's there's multiple different pros. Let's go over some of the biggest ones. For me, it was people taking me seriously. When I was a tennis coach, I was doing pretty good. I was earning 40 pounds an hour, I think at that time, maybe not now, that was about $60 an hour at 19 years old. I was balling from what I thought I was, right? <laughs> and no one ever took me seriously because I was like this young, energetic, smiley person. And then fast forward and I'm running a six figure company and they're still tennis coaching. They're like, damn, like maybe she is. So actually giving that authority, not only to people who know you, but to people who don't know you. And what that does is it opens up doors. I've spoken at Wembley Stadium. I've advised the UK government, spoken at Google, like all these crazy opportunities only happened because people took me seriously and they knew I was good at what I did. So that for me was the biggest pro and it's an accelerator because all of us are great, right? All of us in our heart, we're like, I'm doing this, I'm working hard, but how quickly can you accelerate what those results are going to be? Wow. Yes, definitely. That makes sense. And, and you know, having people take you, it, the, the conversation changing is critical, right? Because then, of course, I'm going to talk about from emergence and acquisition perspective, but you know, whenever you you're, you're, maybe you're in a room, a conference, uh, whatever it may be, and people always say those magic words. Oh, so what do you do? <laughs> and whatever they say, what do you do? It's one thing when you say, oh, I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, I uh, have a PR firm. Oh, I have a staffing firm. Oh, I have this. They're like, okay, cool. If that's not anything related to them specifically, the conversation may not go that much further, right? Mm -hmm. However, when you say, oh, I am, I'm an investor, I acquire businesses. First, people are like, oh, you want to invest in my business? That's the first thought. No, that's not how I acquire. I don't just like give people money and things. I'm not fully Warren Buffett yet, but that's who I'm learning from. And that changes the conversation. It gets me into new rooms because people, they take me seriously. They're like, yo, if you're doing that, then you must be amazing or something. And no, I'm nothing special. I'm just, you know, an average guy that just wanted to learn how to create wealth and I did it. So yes, people are taking me seriously for it. And that definitely resonates with what you're saying. So what about opportunities now? Yeah, for, for me, I'm going to assume that maybe someone's in the online, in online business. That could be an online agency. They could be a coach. They could have a program, a mentorship. A big opportunity right now is finding something that hasn't been utilized. So for example, this YouTube technology is new and no one's doing it because we built it, but it's new, which means it gets exponential results. Compare that to something like... SEO optimization. I mean, everyone knows we should do it, whether we do it or not, mm. the question, but it's been around for a long time. It's not new. It's not going to get you exponential results unless we go back 10 years. So mm. figure out what's new to the market and what's going to give you big results. Because there's, you know, when we can think about marketing ourselves or our personal brand, there's a hundred things that we can do. And we know that we could have done, but they've been around for ages. Having a website's been around for ages, all these different things. So what's new, what's trending, and get on that to actually get exponential results rather than just slowly ticking off boxes. Ooh, you see, Sabrina is easily pushing me to hire her fully for <laughs> everything that I do with PR because, yes, that makes sense. And you know, so I have these four pillars of success. 
Uh, mm-hmm. The first is networking. You have to network, but it's not just about who you know, it's who knows you. Cause I know Elon Musk. He doesn't know me. It doesn't matter. Right. Um, the second is that you have to leave some people behind, right? This is similar to when people say, surround yourself with the right people, surround yourself with five millionaires. You may be the sixth, right? But I say actively leave some people behind friends, family. You just got to tell them, Hey, I'm, I, I got to focus and I'm doing my own thing. Third is that you have to buy seats at tables, but it really means investing in yourself. Go to that conference. Maybe pay for the the more expensive seat because you're going to sit around other people who paid for that expensive seat. But make sure you're also doing number one, which is networking while you're there. Right. And then the next one is while you're buying seats at tables and networking while you're there and you left some people behind, you have to also build your own table. So those are my four pillars. And then I added a foundation of financial literacy because that helped me to explode all of my businesses, understanding credit and financial literacy. But then it gets to the, the roof. And that's what you were just saying, always seeking knowledge. That mm. is critical, right? And that's why I, just, I created this little house with the pillars and the foundation and the roof, but always seeking knowledge. I'm teaching a lot of people about what I do right now, but I'm more of a student than I am a teacher because I'm always going to learn for myself. And yeah, I go back and then show people what I learned and executed on, but I'm always getting mentors. I'm always learning new things exactly to your point of that. You get on that new thing, which could give you exponential results. So I love it. I love it. I love the, the pillars analogy. I told someone this same analogy and then they, I was just speaking and then they wrote, they, they were, they're an artist as well. So they created oh. this whole painting with like a house of pillars and, they put some of my other statements, like one of my um, things that I say is dream big or dream bigger. It comes from, uh, you may have heard the saying, go hard or go home, mm-hmm. right? So I, when I used to hear that, I would say, no, go hard. I'm not going home. Go hard or go harder. And then I realized I shifted it to, you know what, dream big or dream bigger. Because if you don't even think you can achieve these things, then, you know, you never will, right? So yeah, yeah it, it, she made this whole painting of oh, all I love that. That's so fun. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. <laughs> but um, so, okay, let's get into the problems, trying mm-hmm. to be the authority or when you are the authority and you, you don't just become the authority and stop. All right. So one yeah. of the problems that we have to look out for. In being yeah. The authority in the I, I love this. I'm going to go for both because I think they're both very different. The biggest problem, if you're not already the authority and you want to be the authority, is the fact that you haven't earned it. And I turn away a lot of potential leads, a lot of potential clients, because, you know, that, you know, I don't know if we spoke about this or it was another uh, different time, but there's a lot of 19 year old relationship coaches. There's a lot of 22 year old business coaches. Um, I had someone come on the call with me and I was like, what do you do? And they're like, I'm a business coach. I was like, cool. Do you run a business? No, it's what my business is. (laughs) And I I was like, what what are you doing? She was a student um, studying her business degree, which we all know that doesn't help with business. And actually you have to earn the right to be the authority because Mm. no matter how much visibility you get, no matter how much press you get out there if you're not actually good at what you do no one's going to stay you could get a new client and it's going to last for maybe two weeks so becoming actually very skilled and deserving it in the right place is really really important because there's so much information out there people will tell straight through it and you know i'm i'm happy to coach because i've run multiple successful businesses i'm happy to show pr because i've got the numbers to back up what google analytics say right but 
if I hadn't got that, then who am I to go and put myself out there? And the phrase fake it till you make it, I don't think is valid anymore because we can learn until we make it, but we can't fake it. And when you're able to learn and share that learning experience, of course you can grow, but you've got to deserve it first and you've got to put in the ground effort because it doesn't happen. I love that, man. That's that's awesome. But you said you're going to take it the second side of it too. So the second side is when you're the authority, you know, if, if somebody, mainly in the UK, a lot of people knew me compared to the US and I'm still coming into the US. Firstly, you've got to keep it up because people believe in you when you're consistent when you're consistently showing up, when you've got the same energy, where your messaging is the same, because unless you're being consistent, you're being forgotten. So you could have done everything and then you stop and then you become irrelevant. So you've got to remain relevant and you've got to remain consistent. And the second part is actually the the not so nice side of social media, which is when you get the negative comments and you get the potential haters because you're making a big enough impact. And it's actually not such a bad thing because it does show that you're making an impact. Just maybe be careful when you get there as well. Mm, yeah, how you respond to that. And you know, that's a that's a good life lesson too, right? I, I, I tell my kids too that your life will be dictated by how you respond to things, mm-hmm. right? So if, if you blow up because of something, oh my goodness, I, I can't stand this and blah, blah, Now you're stressed. And that's the type of life you live because you always react in this way where it's like, oh my God, I can't. Uh. But if you just take a moment, there's nothing wrong with crying. There's nothing wrong with being emotional initially, uh, letting it out. My goodness, I can't believe this happened again. But okay, all right, how do we fix this? And let's move forward. That perspective changes your life. Right. Mm-hmm. So I, I 100% agree. I, I feel that it's like you, you, it's how you react to things. And I've, I've had to learn that because I've had a couple of haters. <laughs> and, you know, you see me, I'm always smiling. I'm a very, you know, I think I'm a pleasant guy. Most people say that about me. And when I read the, the comments from haters, I was like, why would you do that? I'm just a nice guy. Like in my mind, I'm like, why would you do that? That's not nice. <laughs> but, that's just life. That's it is what it is. So even I, I had to get over that. I had to like, you know, it kind of hurt a little bit, but whatever. They're not. They're, 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 I'm not their cup of tea, so no problem. And it's, I'll move. It's forward. always gonna be that. It's again like you. There's a really good phrase actually um, from a Greek philosopher. I can't remember. His, I can't pronounce his name. I can't remember it. But he <laughs> says the only constant is change, yes, and yes. that's really stuck by me because it is about that adaption. But also life is constantly changing. We could be doing everything per- like perfect and something external could happen. Or maybe something internal can happen. But the more you can learn how to respond to that, the more you'll feel like you're in control because it's you responding to it. It's no one else. Yeah. That wasn't Socrates? It could be. Oh, yeah. Now you got me. Is I know, he, I don't OCD? Know it I know it's, I can't pronounce it. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm gonna check after this because OCD won't let me let that go. So, but yeah, <laughs> that's what's up. I love it. I love it. So now we've exposed what it really means to be the authority in your niche, right? What would you now? Here's a here's a funny thing. A lot of times people ask me if they acquire a business. What? How can I acquire a business if I don't know nothing about it? Mm-hmm. And I say, no, I don't need to know anything about it. Now, I, I realized over time that I already had that mentality because in corporate America, I was a, a consultant. I was an IT mm-hmm. strategy management consultant. So 
I was doing mergers and acquisitions. I was going into different Fortune 500 companies. I was going into government agencies, all different industries to help them to do the same thing, grow, be more efficient, more effective with their process, with their team, their people, all of that. Uh, Drew said Marcus Aurelius. Was it Marcus Aurelius that said it? No. Hippocrates. Maybe it was Hippocrates instead of Socrates. Hippocrates, but... We we get distracted. (laughs) But because of that, a lot of times people are like, oh, I I don't know nothing about hair salon, so I can't acquire that hair salon. I I don't have hair. I got a baldy. I can't acquire it. But no, business is still business. And you don't need to be the expert. So this is kind of going against you with authority in your niche, right? But no, Mm -hmm. not really. I don't need to be the expert in the hair salon. I'm hiring the expert in the hair salon. I'm still the authority in mergers and acquisitions overall. But my focus is, hey, I get this business. It's a cash-flowing business. It's giving me passive revenue because I'm going to hire an operator in it to run it. But people Mm -hmm. are afraid to let go of control, right? People feel like, no, no, no. If... If I can, if no, if nobody could do it as good as me. Yeah, but I'd rather five people doing it 75% as good as me. And now we have higher growth instead of I got to do 100% all myself, right? What do you think about that concept overall? And does it contradict the authority in your niche aspect or no? I think it probably complements it really because, and you did cut out, so I, if I say something wrong, it's, it's not because I said something wrong, it's because it's cut out. No. <laughs> um, but um, hiring, basically going into a business and wanting to do it yourself rather than hiring somebody. Yes. Yeah. I, I think it complements it because let's say you take the hair example, right? We haven't trained, let's say we go want to acquire a hair salon. We haven't trained as hairdressers. We don't know the hairdressing business. Yes, okay, great, I have my hair, but it doesn't mean I'm going to be any good at running a business from it. (laughs) So by putting somebody who has got the experience, who has been able to do it themselves, they can then go run it because they're the expert and they're the authority in their particular niche. I'm very good at what I do, but put me in front of something else that I've got no idea, then how am I meant to be any good? So actually having the courage to say, you know what, they're experienced. They know what could go wrong or what couldn't go wrong. Maybe I'm really good at putting in systems. Maybe I'm really good at figuring out the strengths of my team. But do I know X, Y, and Z from this industry? No. So let's put someone in there. And how can we scale unless we scale with people? Because yes, technology and systems, they all help. But people are behind all of those. So if we find the gold, they'll run with it and really... When we look to acquire businesses, we should be looking to check in once a month, once a quarter, not running the business day to day. There you go. There you go. That's the key. That's the key right there. I love it. And, you know, I, I got a side note for a second. So I think I told you already, I'm, I'm originally from Jamaica, grew up in Jamaica and then moved to Brooklyn, New York and grew up there, too. And I love when I hear somebody say X, Y, Z, because in the, in the States, they say Z. <laughs> when he said that, I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And then I remember, oh, yeah, she's, she's he, all about Europe. That's definitely right. This isn't right. <laughs> yeah, no, but anyway, we, we digress. But but I love it. I love that because, yes, you should. You don't have to be the expert in every field, just in the authority in your niche and know what your niche is and what my niche is, is acquiring the business. That's why I tell people that the first step is 
thinking of yourself as an investor and changing all of your profiles and social media to say investor, right? Because you're gonna ha- you're gonna make different decisions as an investor than you would as a CEO. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So that that's definitely critical. It's similar to one one last uh, example I'll give is a lot of people ask me, oh, I want to start a business. I don't know what to start. And then they say, I'm passionate about golf. I really want to follow my passion. And I say, yeah, well, will golf pay the bills in the way that you're going to do it? If not, maybe it's better to follow a business model that's proven that can cash flow first and you use that to fund your passion. However, if you are acquiring a business because it's already cash flowing, it's already got customers and everything, follow your passion from the beginning if you choose. You love golf, acquire a golf bag making company or something, golf club maker or whatever, and go work in it if you choose. I don't want to work in nothing. But if you choose to, you can follow your passion through acquisitions. Do you agree? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting concept, I think. And I really like Gary Vee. But because of the likes of Gary Vee, because they're very general content for the general population about following the passion because you're going to be working hard, so you might as well do what you love. You know, I followed my passion and I grew a six-figure tennis business. Now, I was happy, but I pretty much capped the market. What I was doing, it wouldn't ever be a seven-figure business. That's why I didn't win The Apprentice. And actually, yes, maybe you can do it, but... Do you have to do it straight away? Why don't we figure out how to take away the stress of finances first and then spend that time doing a passion business? And also, if you're looking to buy a business and you want to put yourself in the business, well, actually, I didn't like tennis for quite a while because all my time was tennis. So actually, maybe you'll lose the passion and you don't want to create yourself a job as well. That's the whole point that you're trying to avoid when you buy a business. Yeah, exactly. You do not want to give yourself a job. I've had that conversation uh, a lot of times with some students who, uh, one in particular, a friend of mine, Hassani, he, um, he'd been hearing about what I was doing for the longest. And we talked all the time because he was my friend too. But he was like, yeah, I, I'm just not going to get into it yet. Then one day he decided to join my community. I was like, oh, about time. What happened? He was like, you know what? Because you made me realize something on one of your IG lives. And I used to think that if I'm buying a business, I'm going to get a job. And I just don't have the time for that. Another job to do. And then when you made you broke it down and I realized that no, you don't have to, it, it blew his mind. And he's he's actually now one of the coaches in my community because he's just going all in and loving it so much. And you think I'm excited. Oh, you should see some <laughs> the people, they just get so hyped because it's so much fun. It's just so much fun. I so love I, that. <laughs> now you you know my real first name, right? Mm. I think we had the discussion and we decided on bees, but you did tell me originally. <laughs> Bjorn. Bjorn. Does that ring a bell to you at all? Probably from the tennis player. <laughs> there you go. Okay. I just, I'll just ask it. It's, you know, we never spoke about that specifically, but tennis. That's who I was actually named after, Bjorn Borg. So. Oh, I love that. Very cool. <laughs> For real. All through life, everybody was like, oh, do you play tennis? I was like, no. no. You should have been like, yeah, I'm a pro. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I should have said that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the authority in tennis. Let's go. <laughs> so, so Sabrina, I have to ask you first and foremost. I mean, we kind of already touched it. When will you buy your first business? 
I'm in the process actually of buying a few e-commerce stores right now because I can scale them with PR and SEO. So <laughs> it makes sense. Yes, you can 100%. And actually another episode, I think it was the previous episode of this. Um, someone else mentioned that they wanted to get into e-commerce acquisitions. And I told them you could also check out like empireflippers.com. I think that's the one for specifically for e-commerce brands. They're really good. Obviously you got things like biz by sell and so much other resources, but empire flippers specifically focuses on e-commerce. That is actually how I got into mergers and acquisitions fully as a private investor in corporate America. It was part of my job, but as a private investor, once I left Microsoft and I started uh, my own, my first company, I was in uh, Amazon FBA. So private labeling in Amazon. And I built two brands that I sold. So once I sold it and the people who bought it, they found me through Empire Flippers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once I sold it, I was like, well, hell, if I can sell it, I could buy some too. <laughs> and then, you know, it just, it, it, one thing led to the next and here we are today. <laughs> no, I love it. I, I first, I, I was, I had so many limited beliefs about buying businesses. And then like I started when I said the PR firm, getting a lot of investors coming, getting a lot of guys in the MA, and I'd interview them because I was interviewing them for the press. And mm. I got so much information about, oh, something going to the window. Um, I got so much information about MA. I was like, damn, I need to learn this myself. So actually, you know, that's also a really interesting part of PR is you interview interesting people and you find out different concepts as well. Awesome. For sure. For sure. So now I have a challenge going on, which I might've told you about. And this challenge is called the trillion dollar table challenge. Oh, we have now, it. Now I've been, I've been doing it more because especially the uh, minority community in in the US, black, brown, everything, you know, it's just like, we're not owning enough. All right. Now, what I teach is not only a matter of for one race or another, it can go across the board. I look at it as the difference between the ultra wealthy and the average people, right? Regardless of your race, the average people. So we are the average people. I am you, maybe you not, but I am. (laughs) And for me, it's like, okay, well, as an average person, how do I, what's the pathway to making a billion dollars if I wanted to go that route? Why is it that I don't know that? Right? So that's where this challenge came up because once I learned a way to get to a billion dollars, I was like, yo, we, we need to, this is a better challenge than the, what's the current crappy challenge going on on TikTok with chicken and NyQuil or something? Did you hear about that? I take talk challenges. <laughs> but with all these stupid challenges that is always happening, I was like, how about a trillion dollar table challenge? At the end of this decade, so we're being realistic too, by the end of this decade, I want to sit in a room at a table and have a trillion dollars assets under management, AUM, with everybody in the room with me. Hopefully more people that look like me as well, but it doesn't matter. It's just the average people versus the ultra wealthy and showing that the average person can become ultra wealthy. Will you be at that table with, with us? Well, it will be when I start buying more businesses. There we go. (laughs) Yes, you will buy businesses because that's one of the three ways to do it. Real estate, financial markets, your stock, your crypto, your Forex, and owning a business, whether you buy it or build it, right? And buying it is the better way. So yes, so okay, I, I'm I'm holding you to this. That's you said it, it now. I see you, on then this. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you have a couple of years, 
So I want you to start executing, making it happen. If you need help in buying a business, I got you. All right. And I need help in PR. So you, I hope you got me. On that too. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. And anyone listening as well, I think it's, you know, education is the first step. Like you'll never know until you try it. So why not? Definitely. Definitely. Now, do you have any final tips when it comes to being the authority, when it comes to social media, when it comes to PR, anything like that? Do you have any final tips for our audience? Yeah, I'll leave maybe a a golden nugget at the end. It would probably come back down to trust and being really honest with yourself with where you are in your business and why somebody should trust you why someone should trust your brand and what reassurances are you putting out there so that somebody does because there's so much information in the world there's so many bad and good agencies and businesses out there what are you doing to stand out and to show that you're being transparent you're being honest and you can help someone Mm, awesome awesome i love it i love it and sabrina tell everybody where they can find you so they can tap in with you as well and your services what's the best place to reach you thanks so much we have a trusted authority checklist on our website for free you can get that down which is two comma pr.com and if you want to connect with myself my instagram sabrina stocker my youtube sabrina stocker and we have a be the authority series that visa was on last week and if you want to really quickly get quick knowledge bombs, you can go check them out there. Awesome. Is it SabrinaStalker.r or is it just Sabrina Stalker? On my Instagram.r. And okay. when I get enough money, I'm just going to buy out Sabrina. <laughs> I, love it. I love it. Who owns Sabrina? Is it like the Teenage Witch or something? <laughs> no, it's like, it's just gone. It's just this it's just is reality. So fortunately, uh, I have someone to help me with that. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will, we will drop all that contact information for sure in the uh, description. So you guys definitely tap in with Sabrina. Thank you, Sabrina, for coming on to Entrepreneurship Exposed. This was a great conversation. I really enjoyed conversing with you. And I think we got a lot more to talk about. And like I said, I want to make sure that you are buying businesses. So thank you again for coming on here and sharing your information, your wealth of information, your story, and helping everybody to be the authority in your niche as we have finally officially exposed that here on the podcast. All right. Thank you, Sabrina. And everybody, I will see you on the next episode. Make sure you like, subscribe, and follow so that you don't miss a single piece of information. Thanks, Sabrina. Bye. Take care.